myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know goes away to all of you. But I sit there and look at some of the things we've talked about for this last hour. Some of the considerations. And I realized that the piece I'd published over the weekend entitled Americans Learn or Yearn for What Was Once a Normal Life. None of us were prepared for our culture's sharp turn. And yet the optimism in me still believes in the American people. Some of them. We're nostalgic for the normal days we once experienced. 
the days when children went to school learned how to get along with everyone. The days when it was okay to disagree with others without the fear of losing your friendship or your head. The days when meritocracy was champion and anyone could achieve their American dream through hard work. None of us were prepared for the sharp turn our culture took. Today, parents distrust public education, as they should. Friendships are lost if political beliefs differ. Meritocracy is under attack. It's considered white supremacy to work hard to achieve your dreams. And the current White House occupants want equal outcomes for everybody because they believe that good is bad and bad is good. In high school, back when reading rich literature in the classroom was still a priority, I remember reading a short story, Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut. The story took place in a dystopian version of the United States. The story was depressing. And none of us could believe that such a world could ever exist. I never thought that our country could take such a dark turn. The first paragraph of the story reads, the year was 2081, and everybody was finally equal. They weren't only equal before God and the law, they were equal every which way. Nobody was smarter than anyone else. Nobody was better looking than anyone else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th and 212th and 213th amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. One can't help think that we're almost at this point. Intelligence is no longer a positive attribute. If a child attends a public school, parents now are taking a gamble on their child's academic achievement. Nobody is stronger or quicker than anyone else unless you're a mentally ill man inserting yourself into women's sports. And the current trend among women is to look like the typical artificial Instagram model with fillers in their faces and lips making all women look identical. And the story reads further, And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. And he was required by law to wear it at all times. It was tuned to a government transmitter. And every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out some sharp noise to keep people like George from taking unfair advantage of their brains. And although this type of governmental overreach is not a reality yet, it is unfortunately something that is within the realm of possibilities. And as dystopian as this story is, the optimism in me still believes in the American people. This country was founded on the unrelenting belief in freedom and many patriots in our nation still hold that belief and will lay down their lives to protect our God-given liberty. Commentary by Scarlin Valdez on Washington's birthday. 
Americans yearn for what was once a normal life. Is that not what we look for? What we ask for? My friend Charlie awakens each morning. And after he gets his coffee, he generally sends me a text or so. Sometimes it's what awakens me. Charlie's in the battle for wits. But he realizes his opponent is unarmed. Maybe they just don't care. They've chosen ignorance and agnosticism over knowing. Charlie doesn't fault him because he sees two figures under the robe. Charlie has used a specific comment several times, but he introduces it by bridging a chasm between then and now. 1843 and 2024. Introducing metaphoric rhetoric from two very different authors pertinent to that which I'm sharing with you now. Oh man, look here. Look, look down here. Claimed the ghost. There were a boy and a girl. Yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish but prostate too in their humility. And while where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with the fresher tints, a stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. And where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared out menacing no change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity. In any grade, through all the mysteries of wonderful creation, has monsters half so horrible and dread? Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirit, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both in all of their degree. But most of all, beware of this boy, for on his brow, on his brow I see that written which is doom, unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out its hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for, those, for your factious purposes. Make it worse and bide the end. Those words, of course, from Charlie's great-great-grandfather, Charles Dickens. 
A Christmas Carol. Throughout history, actual events in literary conjurings point to the same critical conditions and direction, but our choices ignore the warnings. We don't want to know. Our choices ignore the warnings. We really don't want to know. And then there was oh. 1845 wrote this short story called The Mask of the Red Death about a disease that plagues a fictional country but its victims died a quick and gruesome death. Mesieux de Moss. A title about a once great nation suffering a horrible plague codified by rapacious people obsessed with power and their quest for control at any cost, even if it means the, the destruction of the Republic to attain their goal. Goal was the topic of speculation and inference. My friend Charles have written about his views several times in the past months. But only the architects of the treason know the reason. It becomes somewhat simple. Partisan politics don't cause a quick death. Partisan politics is equally as gruesome as Poe's Red Death, and to a greater extent more insidious. And the spectacle playing before us represents the full weight of this partisan folly. One of the parties has near total control of the components that comprise our republic, and they fight assiduously for the remaining scraps, forcing the other party into a damage control posture, attempting to regain lost ground and rectitude. Oh, no less ardent, but lost in a fractious cult, confused by truth, hobbled by infighting. For we must realize there is no unity of purpose. Nothing's done with a Republican mind. These elected Fools would eat their young to further the cause. It is dedication or obsession. Which one is it? If you've forgotten, which would not be a surprise, there are three major branches of government in this constitutional republic. There is the executive branch, which is the president. I guess we don't have one of those right now. There's the legislative, which is Congress. That's the opposite of progress, by the way. And, of course, there is judicial, the so-called Supreme Court. So what we talk about today is a, about a cancerous tumor. Tumor is in the two-party politics. 
took root in our republic shortly after it was born. And it metastasized over the next 200 years when Democrat Republicans divided over questions about the federal government's powers broke into two separate parties setting the stage for the battle between Marxism and constitutional republic. But the rift is devolved into name-calling. Innuendo. Baseless accusations culminating in the alienation of the citizenry along ideological alignments. Republicans of the so-called conservative right or red party. Democrats of the liberal left or blue cop party. That names or titles for these two mores are inconsequential. They represent the two main actors in this spectacle and the extravaganza and disloyalty of the Republic. And since that original split, the patient America has been in deep doo-doo, serious trouble. I mean, you remember the old statement, a house divided cannot stand? My friends, we're on basic life support. DLS and the Nationalist American Socialist Party or NASP is reaching out to disconnect it to the book of Matthew knowing their thoughts he said to them every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand We are surviving, barely, in a divided family, a city, or country. There are no winners, my friends. There's only losers. Charlie does not consider himself to be religious, but he finds astonishing wisdom in those ancient texts. And on numerous occasions over the years, Charles has explained his beliefs about ancient religions and their writings. He finds their messages parallel logic and reason. They've got much to teach us if we are open to those messages rather than belaboring attributions to any deity. So this two more that he references the fractured and partisan divide we call Democrat and Republican parties. Our need to further simplify the identification of these factions by interference through color sets the tone for what follows. The mask of this red death is our dilemma, my friends. Because of partisan politics, America is dying a slow and gruesome death because of and being behind this mask. The mask of the Red Death obscures our views of the truth, hiding it from the people it impacts by whom we hire to manage it for us. They're not managing anything for us. They're doing all they can to manage us. Something is wrong. The 
mask of red death obscures our views of the truth. Hiding it from the people it impacts by whom we hire to manage it for us. Their cohorts in the corporate media spread the deception by feeding the Republic the gaslighting program narratives. And because of it, we are distracted from distraction by distraction. And yet there are some accepted associations with those two primary colors. Hmm. Things that we must understand the meaning for each of us to simplify. Red. Actively. Activity. Aggression. Atonement. Danger, hatred, heat, passion, sexuality, war. Or blue, freedom, imagination, inspiration, intelligence, intuition, loyalty, openness, sensitivity, sincerity, stability, and wisdom. Now, the sources that we just shared with you are inferences from Wikipedia. Encyclopedia Britannica explains to us that the idea of using colors to denote political parties was popularized by TV news broadcasts, which used color-coded maps during presidential elections However, there was no uniformity in color choices with different media outlets using different colors. Some follow the British tradition of using blue for conservatives or Republicans and red for liberals or Democrats. And yet during the 2000 U.S. presidential election and the lengthy battle to determine the winner, prominent news sources denoted Republicans as red and Democrats as blue, and these associations have persisted. <laughs> Does it rattle a degree of sense within you? The colors assigned to the political parties belies their intent and character. So we cannot allow this to confuse us or allow the colors to influence our impressions of these actors. The corporate media dished out these colors to simplify their identification. However, they think there was some bias involved in the selections. Just remember, corporate media has always leaned to the left. Republican. Right. Conservative, red, Democrat, left, liberal, blue. Does any of it make sense? I mean, there is a powerful message in these color assignments. They're the exact opposite of the position of these cults. An open and honest audit of their positions exposes the dichotomy between action and color association. 
If one accepts a brief history of the Democratic Party, it will show us that they defended slavery, supported the war of northern aggression, opposed Reconstruction, founded the KKK, imposed segregation, perpetrated lynching, fought against the Civil Rights Act in the 1950s and 60s. Hmm. Huh. Unbelievable. The Democratic Party, my friends, is associated with the term military industrial congressional complex. A phrase, interestingly enough, coined by President Eisenhower, a Republican, in his 1961 farewell address. Oh, and by the way, Lincoln's assassin, John Wilkes Booth, was a Democrat, proving that they would turn on their own and probably eat their children in service to their cause. For the Democrats and any partisan political permutation, for that matter, the end justifies the means. And so, regardless of one's political leanings or biases, the only real losers are the citizens. And the mask of the Red Death is not one political party, but it is the devastation created by their struggle for sovereignty. One must keep in mind the primary tool is distracting us from distraction by distraction. The word for this is obfuscation. We're so busy trying to make sense of the messaging and narrative that we don't see what's really happening to our country. The government's partners in this gaslighting and dishonesty are the corporate media who flood the communication networks with misleading messaging, pointless pandering, horrendous hubris, all intended to deflect our attention elsewhere. Now we contend this partisan political posturing propagates perpetual all-out war for political control using the scorched earth strategy in which the political party's policy involves deliberate and widespread destruction of individuals' character, political assassinations, figuratively and literally, and of course sabotaging resources such as media, political and corporate alliances directed toward victory or supremacy at all costs. A crucial partner in this foul play is paid accomplices like the corporate media, the Department of Justice, CIA, the FBI, IRS, a few other clandestine organizations. 2016 election showed the chinks in their armor and process. And the assertions and allegations of Russian collusion were a bit sloppy and the ballot harvesting and the stuffing were equally suspect. Oh, but they did pull it off, though. Old Mumblebum is president and the 
Supreme Court has sufficient lefties to keep life exciting and manageable for the NASP. So the left's weaponization of the Department of Justice, the IRS, and the corporate media toward their goal is the final link in the coup. The rest of this far-reaching power was the theft of the 2020 election. Oh, they proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that their fully functioning weaponized government branches could perform at banana republic levels. A carefully scripted, choreographed insurrection of January the 6th is a salient example of this corrupt coalition. And although there were no grounds for NASP actions, baseless accusations ruined innocent people's lives, a show trial came off without a hitch. And even now, all these years later, the NASP maintains its hold on their spurious fairy tales. Think about it. Stay with us. We'll come back on the other side for the end of the fairy tale. The best of the free life is still yet to come. The good times ain't over for good. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back, uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee... You have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Are you sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. 
It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBtalk.com and join the social media revolution. What would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive! Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. Camptown ladies sing this song, doo-dah, doo-dah, Camptown racetrack five miles long, all a doo-dah day. Wide, wide world of sports is going on here. I had you people try to get a little track lead, not to jump around like a bunch of Kansas City faggots. Returning back to our uh, commentary about the insurrection of January the 6th, salient example of our corrupt coalition. Detailed video evidence about the NASP's antics clearly demonstrated their sedition. And there's no one to prosecute their crimes. The available evidence is damning, and yet the NASP machine blocks attempts to litigate their loyal cult members. And that power is turned on their political opponents. And the left's tactics for 2024 include a legal campaign of manufactured charges slick interpretations of the law, an onslaught of 91 charges in four felony indictments and slanderous accusations of treason and sedition. The NASP aims to ruin the opposing candidate morally, legally, and financially during this election cycle. But ignorance and want are the tools of the mosque, the mask of the Red Death. The NASP. Their tactics choke our constitutional republic's rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness through our our ignorance, our want. Ignorance of the Constitution and our want of free stuff. Not freedom from tyranny. Listen to any huckster or snake oil salesman. But that's a politician, you know. By their promises, because we are ignorant of the actual processes in our republic. The boy is ignorance. This girl is want. 
Beware them both in all of their degree, but most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see what written, which is doom, unless the writing be erased. And from the book of Matthew, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. There's much thought to be given. Much to learn and understand from the writings of my friend Charles Dickens. Mask of the Red Death. It's what we face. Oh, and I, of course, have such a marvelous good time picking out the right images. I like the one when it comes to talking about the Democratic Party, supporting the war of northern aggression, opposed Reconstruction, founding the KKK. And, of course, the image we have is a supposed photograph of our congressional leaders including those in the background, all wearing KKK costumes. <laughs> oh, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. I think it's quite simple. Not pleasant, but it's simple. Middle America is dying hard. The Washington elites, the media elites, the online conspiracy elites just don't get or understand Middle America. It is interesting, a couple of hours ago, I began to look at the headlines on about six or seven different websites that I will look at at least once a day. I'm looking for something that will calmly find the words that I would normally share with my 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 uh, Audience, Middle America's dying hard. So I find this article with that title, Middle America's dying hard. A writer I've never heard of before, pleasant-looking gal, Selena Zito. Currently lives down in a place called Weirton, West Virginia. But she said that most people in that town will tell you they'd rather have taken a physical punch to the gut than get the news that they received recently when Cleveland Cliff Steel announced that it was idling its tin plate production plant. Move that directly cost 900 people their jobs this past weekend. 
isn't just those workers who face catastrophic uncertainty. This closure also jeopardizes the jobs of thousands more people whose businesses supported the plant, the barbershops, the gas stations, the mom-and-pop grocery stores, the machine shops that make the widgets for the steel industry. And, of course, there's also the demise of the tax base, which affects the school district and the quality of the roads. Amazing to me. 30 years ago, more than 10,000 people worked at Weirton Steel. 30 years ago, and now the last 900 workers have just lost their jobs. Just another scar to add on to what people in power have done to our lives and our community over the last 40 years. Those words from one employee who declined to give his name, adding that, honestly, how many times does this story have to be told before someone in power gives a damn about our lives? Points to different buildings downtown. All of them for him were, used to be this, used to be that. Ryan Weld of Wellsburg, age 43, grew up in downtown Weirton right behind the local funeral home. He said, when I was growing up in the 80s, the mill was still going at full tilt with Weirton Steel employing 10,000 people, including my grandfather's, he said. Republican state senator said things began to slow down here in the mid to late 90s after the North American Free Trade Agreement was enacted. That dramatically changed the landscape of downtown went from a bustling last age group that remembers the shops and stores and restaurants of downtown. He believes that NAFTA, signed by Bill Clinton in 1993, essentially made it hard for companies like Weirton Steel, which had to follow strict and expensive environmental protection agency guidelines to compete with places like Mexico. Towns all up and down the Steel Valley died hard. But the legacy of the federal government and its refusal to properly enforce trade laws is nothing but empty mills and unemployed workers, Weld said. That was true in the 80s and 90s, and that's true today. Refusal to properly enforce trade laws. Our own government doesn't enforce those. They're designed to protect we, the people. Forty years ago, the Democratic Party started so slowly to shed its working class base, but not quickly. Democratic officials would still show up for decades at union rallies, putting their arms around workers' shoulders and tell them that they have their back while at the same time enacting regulations and trade agreements that stripped them of their livelihoods and dignity and made ghettos of their once beloved communities. Unbelievable. 
How many times we read these stories, listen, it's appalling to me. Just appalling to me. By the 2012 Obama re-election, they traded their New Deal Democratic legacy voters for ascendant groups, minorities, young people, college-educated elites, single women, all done without so much as a Dear John letter. All the Republicans inherited them, but most of their strategists running messaging and campaigns had no idea what to do with them at least on the national level. <laughs> that is the press covering the voter who will decide the next president. And few, if any of them, come from places like Weirton or Youngstown, Ohio. So they have a little understanding of their worldview. Things that give people here, from here, purpose. Just living close to the extended family. It's appalling to me. God. These people are not as valuable to someone who has been transient for most of a career. We're heading once again into an election where very few people in Washington truly understand how remarkably devastating the closure of that mill is. It's a wire story at best. Soon forgotten if measured at all. They don't understand how much the loss of the dignity of work has changed American politics. That this tone deafness is still happening 14 years after Barack Obama was given notice in the 2010 midterm elections. And eight years after Trump won the presidency, all that's pretty staggering. Democrats once attracted those voters, but they've moved on to the social justice crowd and don't appear to want these folks anymore. I am sure so. Unbelievable. What do you do with all this stuff? Move down to the social justice crowd. McConnell doesn't get it. Maybe he does. Press doesn't. The new very online right is certainly not the reflection of a center-right voter in middle America. The online right just seems hell-bent on making them seem like Taylor Swift conspiracy theorists. Jeff Brower, a political science professor at Keystone College, said Washington elites on both sides of the aisle and media elites and now online conspiracy elites just don't get middle America even after this recent economically and politically difficult decade. Because they don't care. few things bond people or citizens together like trying to make a living in the real world 
the dignity of work and raising a family. Bonds cut across all divides, geographic, racial, ethnic, religious, gender, ideological, or party, and even at times socioeconomic. If there's one thing we have learned over the past decade, it is that this bond over the difficulties of making an honest living can and does create unlikely coalitions of voters. Even disparate voters from the likes of Bernie Sanders supporters to Trump supporters. It's unreal. Can I agree on that? Economic dignity and survival make strange bedfellows, don't they? Brad Todd, founding partner of On Message and co-author of the Great Revolt inside the Populist Coalition Reshaping American Politics, said that one thing is for certain about 2024. We are about to read a million news stories that quote zero people who are actually going to decide the election. Brower said the dignity of work is the very core of the American experience. And yet the elites of this country still just don't understand. All average Americans just keep getting financially squeezed more and more. Mild said it is incumbent on local elected officials such as himself to be the advocates of middle America. I do what I do because of that. The empty buildings were already there when I was in college and high school, and it pisses me off, he said. I don't think anyone fought hard enough for that from happening. (laughs) We shouldn't keep having to read again and again and again another story about a town dying hard and the vacancy of no one caring. There's whole communities all over this country. It's unbelievable, people. I don't see an end to any of this. I really, truly don't see an end. Not a good one. There are days that I wonder why we continue. Why I continue. I'm very tired tonight. I think most of you know that. Those of you who have been long-time listeners. My function is not functioning well tonight. I don't know how we're going to resolve any of this anymore. I don't know if it can be resolved. These are the things that we have to question. Is there a way for us as a nation, as a people, to survive? 
I don't know. Not anymore. Hmm. I look at some of these people that are amazing writers, contributors. Neil Ross, I don't write as, publish as much of his stuff as I used to because it is so horrendously lengthy that most people won't read it all. Charles Dickens. Justin O. Smith. No, I'm passing out. I, I make no bones about it. I'm I'm whipped. <laughs> it's um, very frustrating. Exceedingly frustrating. What did I do with that one? I don't know what I did. Okay, I got that. Yeah, one minute. I guess we're running out of time. Listen, I, I will be back tomorrow. I pray God I'm going to get a decent night's sleep so I can function tomorrow far better than I have done tonight. So I do apologize for that. Um, but let's hope the message was clear and understandable. Oh, the federalobserver.com. Scroll down on that first page until you see that video of Barack Obama. Yeah, it's well worth looking at. You guys do it. You take care. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow. Pray God I can move into a health mold tomorrow. I'm tired of doing politics. Makes me want to vomit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. I've got some praying to do and pray we got some time to survive all this and yeah, we got about a minute to go yet very frustrating and um, I forgot to pull that information up here hang on a quick second not that it matters it's too late in the program to discuss it anyway I gotta pass, take a fast peek at medals and see what they've done yeah Gold's still down for the day, but it's basically uh, up for more. Where was it? It's up about, nah, still sitting at 2033, right where it was about six hours ago. Silver sitting at 2250 an ounce. It's laying flat. It's not doing much of anything, which makes it a damn good time to buy. So if I can help you with some uh, precious metals acquisitions, do call me at 602-799-8214. Beyond that, guess what? I think, nah, I still got, what, 20 seconds? Yeah. Thanks, babe. I love you. You folks, take care of yourselves without apology. Looking at Tired Bagley Mofo, I am Jeffrey Bennett. Good night. Do you think we have time? Do you think we have time? These are the days of the open hand 
claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest. People are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food, but the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker. Until now. Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker in just one day. An excavator digs a hole in your backyard, and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can 
print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D Bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 